money. It's one of those things that we today can rarely mentally separate from government. Printing money, coining coins, regulating banks, it seems are simply things that governments do. Most people can't remember a time in which this was not the case. Total government control of money is simply our common experience. But a whole new generation is beginning to awaken to the fact that this state of affairs is not normal, it's not biblical, it favors the few, it doesn't represent the best of American liberty, and that the ideal of freedom calls for a much different view of money and banking than what we have today. In fact, by biblical standards of money, what we have today is an oligarchy, a scam, a tyranny, a sin, and a crime. Well, it helps to begin with definitions. So what is money after all? The answer is simple. Money is the most marketable commodity in any given society at any certain time. This means money is the most universally accepted means of exchange in business or trade. If you have money, anyone who engages in business will be willing to trade their goods or services with you at any time in exchange for that socially accepted money. And they will do this, they will be happy to do this, because they know that someone else will at the same time, or will at the, accept the same commodity uh, later in exchange for their needs and wants. So money is therefore the byproduct of human interaction and human business, and it arises naturally in a market as people make decisions about buying and selling their goods and services. Now in a free market, many things, anything just about, can act as money. In American colonists' trade early on with the Indians, beaver furs and wampum beads acted as money. In some parts of America at the time, fish and corn worked as well. In Virginia, the most widely marketed commodity was tobacco. And into the 18th century, even taxes were paid in pounds of tobacco. And that was also true for things like government fines and, and things of that nature. Uh, they did develop warehouse receipts as paper that circulated as currency, but these receipts were written against stores of tobacco, and it was one-to-one. -one. Uh, anyway, this happens in society. When precious metals become available, they tend to have a way of stealing the show for what acts as money, and that's been historically uh, true. It's by no means necessary that the state get involved in coining precious metals, although coinage does tend to enter the picture in practice in some way, shape, or form. It brings with it uh, several conveniences, uh, whether it's state-sanctioned or not. Uh, portability, regularity, things of that nature. Uh, with coinage, each coin, it is, uh, will, it is assumed, uh, have a practical, regular size and weight, and this, of course, can be abused, and it always has been uh, throughout history. If the coining agent slightly decreases, that is, cheats the size or debases the metal, and yet tries to maintain the same face value of the coin. And as I said, this has been done thousands of times in history, and it continues today right under our very nose, not just with fiat currency, but with our coinage. Uh, up until 1982, for example, American pennies were 95% copper. 
Around that time, the copper value of a penny began to be worth more than the face value of a penny. And so the government switched from copper to a much more affordable zinc. And in today's prices, for example, uh, a 1982 penny is actually worth 2.2 cents on the copper market. A post-1982 penny is worth about 0.5 cents on the zinc market. Okay, the Bible calls this stealing, and this applies to money, uh, whether it is done by private mints or private individuals or agents of the government. The value of the money should not derive from what is printed on the face of it. As we just said, money rises naturally as a result of commerce. Its value is tied to its market-determined valuation as a commodity. And this, of course, can change over time. Its valuation is a function, simply, of how much people want it. Now, the biblical standard for money is very clear, and it is the same as the biblical standard for the exchange of any commodity. And it's this, just weights and measurements, that is, honest measurements. God says the following, You shall do no wrong in judgment in measures of length or weight or quantity. You shall have just balances, just weights, a just ephah, and a just hen. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, Leviticus 19, 35, and 36. This is repeated in even uh, more detail later in Deuteronomy. Quote, You shall not have in your bag two kinds of weights, a large and a small. You shall not have in your house two kinds of measures, a large and a small. A full and fair weight you shall have, a full and fair measure you shall have. That your days may be long in the land that your Lord your God is giving you. For all who do such things, uh, all who act dishonestly, are an abomination to the Lord your God. That's Deuteronomy 25, 13 through 16. So when anyone, including government, gets involved in manipulating the money supply artificially and by that devaluing its purchasing power, they are engaging in diverse weights and measures. It is acting dishonestly. It is, according to God through Moses, an abomination. Now where have we heard that word? All those people today who make such a political issue over homosexuality, calling sodomy an abomination, which it is, by the way, according to Scripture, the same people should be shouting a thousand times more that our money and banking system are an abomination because this biblical transgression is way more pervasive throughout society uh, and it affects everyone every day. The comparison in regard to the frequency of the offense not even close. The Federal Reserve System, uh, by this measure, is the abomination of abominations in our society today, topped only perhaps by abortion. So while the homosexual lobby is powerful in many places, the finance lobby is by far the largest of any. It has by far more influence in every office, party, and hall of government that we have, but that's a small digression. The biblical standard is just weights and measures. Ideally, this means a physical commodity money, such as gold or silver coins, although it can be other things, 
with a clear and honest and verifiable weight of metal content, or a paper receipt or a certificate that is backed and freely redeemable from a, re from a bank or other institution for such an amount of physical commodity money one to one. For a bank not to keep 100% physical reserves ready to be redeemed for each paper receipt or certificate, whatever you want to call it, issued is simply fraudulent. Though, by the way, it's the standard practice today to keep only about 10% in reserve, which reserves are not even gold and silver anyway. Historically, banks have found it irresistible not to issue more paper receipts than they have reserves to cover. This is a practice called fractional reserve banking, as you probably already know. It allows the bank to loan out and collect interest on more assets than it actually has in reserve. Historically, the best example of honest money, or at least a good example of honest money, is the Byzantine Empire. Uh, now, there are a lot of qualifications to this, of course, but with a consistent gold coin standard, prices remained stable for over a thousand years in the Byzantine Empire. Uh, when America was at her best, she was closer to this standard, despite uh, episodes of paper issuing going back and forth, especially during the war. Um, the era in our history of the international gold coin standard from 1815 to 1913 or 14 or so was probably, well, this is probably debatable, it was probably the period of the greatest economic growth in American history. Perhaps the most widely used coin in colonial times was the Spanish dollar. Now, despite British attempts to monopolize the coinage throughout their empire, uh, including the American colonies. The American colonies continued to import, and even when it was uh, unlawful to do so, they smuggled them in, the Spanish silver dollars. The Spanish dollar was uh, available in what were called pieces of eight, um, and each piece was called a bit. Uh, the epithet, we have two bits, comes from refers to the old quarter dollar a very cheap uh, valuation. Our word dollar today comes from this originally very dependable and widespread silver coin. And it, the dollar today, of course, is completely unhinged from any physical standard or weight of measure, such as uh, a silver coin. Banks and treasuries, as I said, have historically been unable to resist loaning out money, uh, more money than they have in reserve. This is true going all the way back to the goldsmiths of the late Middle Ages. It was true also throughout most of the United States, including, I should say especially including, when we've had a national or central bank, and especially in times of war. And we'll cover some of these things in a little more detail in our next section on how freedom was lost. There was at least one great exception in American history which illustrates how private currency issued by private banks, backed almost completely by marketable assets such as gold and silver, can both thrive and can help maintain other people in a free, free market economy. There were two Boston banks, the New England Bank of Boston founded in 1814 and especially the Suffolk Bank founded in 1818. Uh, were concerned over the excessive paper being issued by competing banks from farther out in the country. 
Now, since the country, banks were much more difficult to reach and travel to in those days in order to redeem paper for gold, they could more easily get away with issuing more paper as fewer people would travel and show up to redeem it. Many other city banks began refusing even to redeem country banknotes at all, so Suffolk Bank devised this system in which they bought up all the less valuable country banknotes throughout the city and refused to redeem any of them um, unless the country banks agreed to keep gold deposits in their bank, in Suffolk Bank. So while the country notes tended to trade at a discount in the city, ordinarily Suffolk devised its clearinghouse system that would enable them to be traded at par. And every other bank in the loop was very thankful for this convenience, and in fact it was quite a relief of the problem. The system simultaneously forced the country banks to keep their paper issuances honest. Uh, they didn't like necessarily being forced to redeem the gold, uh, but the threat of being completely shunned from the circle of other banks uh, completely was a much worse uh, scenario. So they made their deposits of gold with Suffolk and they kept their issuances of paper to a minimum. And, uh, and so the problem was essentially taken care of. It had the added benefit of lending this new credibility to the country banks as long as they participated in that system. Suffolk's free market money and banking system prospered for 40 years from opening in 1818 to uh, about 1858, really a little bit longer, but it was in that year that a competitor arose called the Bank of Mutual Redemption and Suffolk Bank, for some reason, reacted to it negatively. They tried to monopolize the business. They thought it was theirs. Uh, they began to decline. But the real demise came in 1861 and then again in 1863 when Civil War measures stopped all redemption in gold and prohibited all issuance of private paper to begin with. Again, we'll cover uh, more of the government monopoly on paper that followed that in the next section as well. In the end, while it lasted, the Suffolk banking system showed that it is possible in a free market system to have private banks competing and competing to establish themselves as efficient, safe, inexpensive clearinghouses, limiting the overissue of paper money. In fact, it's proof positive that a free market can regulate both money and banking, can check fraud, uh, can keep the would-be cheaters accountable, can provide viable private currency, can protect the wealth, can, and, and bring great profits to the banks, and at least the ones that are in the system that want to be honest competitors. So we can see that in a free market, in the creation and production of money, and a decentralized free market in banking, including a 100% reserve standard, they're absolutely viable. It is the biblical standard, and it has been viable historically, uh, most famously, well, I shouldn't say most famously, but certainly in the Byzantine Empire to a degree, but also right here in America, in at least this one regional example. So, free market money and banking are biblical, and they work. There's no reason we could not restore this standard, although getting there was going to probably cause a short period of discomfort in the transition. Now, I've already said, however, that this freedom was uh, compromised many times in American history. Uh, truthfully speaking, money and banking manipulations have by far been the standard 
and the norm more so than honest money. So we'll see some of these instances in the next section and discuss some common themes in relation to their cause of, and, and talk about how the freedom that we had was lost.